Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features Senior Pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. In this episode, Pastor Eric preaches about Jesus' words from the cross. Though Jesus took on the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, he addressed others while facing and experiencing his crucifixion. Jesus presents words of comfort, compassion, and warning as he urges those he loved to seek forgiveness. Have you sought forgiveness from God? Have you accepted Jesus' gift of salvation given freely to those who believe? Jesus is the merciful and forgiving Messiah. Trust Him today. And now, here's Pastor Eric. This morning, we're going to begin a, a new sermon series called Words from the Cross. Not necessarily words on the cross, but words from the cross, from around the cross. And this morning will be part one. We'll look at part two next week. Easter will be Easter. And maybe we'll have a part three after Easter to kind of bring some conclusion to all of these things. Oh, the powerful words of the cross. One songwriter writes these words, Knees to the earth that you breathed by your word as you watched the darkness come. Crushed by the weight of the cost as you prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Gethsemane, where heaven met me. Redeemer, crowned in endless praise, my Savior, name above all names, King Jesus, take the highest place. Listen to verse 2. There on the hill you surrendered your will, for they know not what they do. Grief in your heart, your hands bear the scars of a love that led you to the tomb. Calvary, where heaven met me. Redeemer, crowned in endless praise, my Savior, name above all names, King Jesus, take the highest place. Oh, the power of the cross. Oh, the power of your blood. Oh, the power of the cross. Oh, the power of your blood, oh, the powerful words of Jesus, our sermon series. Now, this is not a seven words of the cross sermon series. It's not the seven sayings of the cross sermons that we have heard before. My favorite is when we did that seven word service here in Adairsville. I love the fact that each one took a word and they preached it passionately. And it was an amazing time of truth and unity. But there are seven sayings from the cross as Jesus was on the cross. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Number two, we sort of looked at last week here in the sanctuary to the repentant thief today, you'll be with me in paradise. Saying number three, woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. Number four, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Saying number five, in his humanity, I thirst. Number six, it is finished. And then number seven, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit, or I commit my spirit. Notice Father at the beginning of the first saying, and Father at the end of that seventh saying. These words are true words. And it is true. 
that when He was on the cross, we were on His mind. You were on His mind, but it's so important to note that when He was on the cross, others were on His mind. So many other people, be it the Father, or the, the sinners, or the women, or somebody else, all of Jesus' words were for other people. Uh, for the Father's glory. It wasn't a, oh me, oh my, stop, uh, words of, of me and my distress. Others were on His mind. So this morning, I want us to look at three words of the cross or from around the cross. Number one, I want you to see this first point. And I want us to examine a word on the journey to the cross. A word on the journey to the cross. If you have your Bible, open to Luke chapter 23. The Gospel according to Luke, the good doctor, the Gentile, Luke chapter 23, he writes. And he writes about the crucifixion. In Luke chapter 23, we're going to read verses 26 through 38. The Gospel account says this, And they led Jesus away. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. And they laid on him the cross, maybe the cross beam, to carry it behind Jesus. Simon, who'd probably never met Jesus, forced to carry the cross beam or the cross. As Jesus led the way, Simon is ushered into service. Verse 27, And there followed him a great multitude of the people. Many people, many different kinds of ages, many different kinds of sexes. Perhaps different kinds of ethnicities. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Women following, weeping and wailing for Jesus. Look at verse 28. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Listen to the words of Jesus. For if they do these things when the wood is green, or they do these things to the green tree, the green wood, what will happen when it is dry? What happens to the dry wood? Words from the cross on the way to Calvary, on the way to Golgotha. Words as Simon carried the cross beam. I want you to see, number one, a word on the journey to the cross. As Simon aids the Savior, the women weep. As Simon aids the Savior, not knowing the one that he was aiding, the women weep and well, perhaps not knowing all what was going to take place and what was going on. I want you to see three things here. Letter A, I want you to see that these are initially words of comfort. They're initially words of comfort. Jesus could have, in His pain, been so self-focused and in such agony that He had just ignored the weeping and wailing women. But what does He do? Initially, He speaks words of comfort to them as He addresses them. He shows great grace, great compassion, great comfort as He turns to them. But He turns to them and says these words, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for Me. Initially, they appeared to be comforting words. Don't cry for me, daughters of Jerusalem. I acknowledge you, but don't weep and wail for me. I want you to see letter B, that these are ultimately words of warning. Initially, words of comfort, but ultimately they're words of warning. 
Why? Because he says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. That's the comfort. But the warning is, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Wow, what a great turn. You know how important childbirth was to people like Sarah, to mothers like Hannah. But now Jesus says they'll reach a point where you'll say, you'll say blessed are the barren. Blessed are the wombs that never bore. Ultimately, these are words of warning. Why would Jesus speak words of warning? Why are these words of warning? Because around 40 years later, in A.D. 70, Jerusalem would be ransacked. They would be ravaged. Rome would come in and the Romans would destroy. That's why it's a, a message of warning. And what is the message that Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, repent. Repent. I warn you that unless you repent, you'll perish. Repent. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, the minor prophet Hosea. Aren't you thankful? that archaeological discoveries are still being made. Even this week, they found Greek manuscripts of minor prophets. It shows us that they were taking the minor prophets like Zechariah and they were translating them into the Greek. It would be like us taking the Scriptures and translating them into a common language, maybe like the NLT or the NIV or the ESV, taking it and, and translating it from the Hebrew to the Greek and they're still finding those even recently. And Hosea is a minor prophet and Jesus preaches from Hosea and He quotes when He says these words in verse 30. In that day, that terrible day and around 70 when, oh, it comes and you should be crying not for me but for yourself and blessed are the barren and that never had the kids and were even told that things would get, would, they would get so bad that people would even uh, eat their own children in that siege. Jesus says... Verse 30, in those days they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. He says actually that barrenness would be a blessing in those bad days. <laughs> bad days makes barrenness the blessing. What would come of Jerusalem? They would fall. What would come of Jerusalem? What would come of the rejectors? What would come of those who says? Crucify Him. We have no king but Caesar. We don't want Him. This man blasphemes and he commits treason. And What would come? Well, Jesus gives a warning, but He'd give warnings before, hadn't He? In Matthew 23, Jesus had warned before about the fall of Jerusalem. Punishment would come. So, there would be a death well for Jesus. But Jesus says the death well should be for Jerusalem. Should there be a death well for Jesus or should there be a death well for Jerusalem? should be for Jerusalem. Should we pity Him or pity them? And Jesus says, don't pity me, pity, pity yourselves. Wow. You know, I think our sister in Christ, Carol Williams, who passed into paradise, I think she would say that. Don't weep for me. I'm in paradise, but... Weep for those who don't know the way, the truth, and the life. Don't pity me. I'm in glory, but pity those who've never heard. Pity those who are still here in their sin and in their brokenness and who are going astray. Jesus says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. 
Warning, repent. It's an age of repentance. A, they're initially words of comfort. B, they're ultimately words of warning. I want you to see that, see though, they're words that show that Jesus has a heart for women. He has a heart for women. He could have easily ignored them. Why, on the way to the cross, does Jesus take the time to stop and encounter these women and say to them, daughters of Jerusalem? You see, we know that there were many people in Jerusalem for Passover. Many, the city would swell something like four times. There were all kinds of people there. And the question comes, well, who were these women? Did they even know? Were they just doing the custom of weeping and wailing over the, 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 the tragic death of Jesus and the criminals? Who were they? The question, had they been at the triumphal entry that Palm Sunday? Did some of those women wave the palm branch not knowing quite what was going on? They thought the kingdom was coming. Who were they? We do know this, that they were showing and expressing some kind of sympathy, but instead Jesus expresses sympathy for them. In some ways, Jesus is saying, don't cry for me down here. When I get where I'm going, don't cry for me down here. The Brad Paisley song, not entirely theologically accurate, but what Jesus is saying is true. When I get where I'm going to glory, don't cry for me down here. Don't weep and well over me. Weep and well over yourselves. Weep and well over the punishment that's coming because you've rejected the Messiah. Repent. Repent. Jesus says, if they do these things now, if they do these things to me, the righteous... What's going to happen to you? What's going to happen then? What's going to happen to the unrighteous? What's going to happen in that situation? Words on the way to the cross. Secondly, I want us to notice the first words from the cross. In Luke 23, as we continue reading, we see them in verses 32 and following. The Bible says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Him. He had to be numbered with the transgressors, as was prophesied. And he was. There were criminals, two of them. They were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, Golgotha, they came to Golgotha. There they crucified Him. Crucified Him. Two words. And every Jew and every Roman knew what crucified Him meant. They knew the torture. They knew... The nails, they knew the agony, the blood, the suffocation. They knew the dehydration. They knew just how awful crucified Him meant. All that it entailed. And there at Golgotha, the Bible says they crucified Him. And the criminals, one on His right and one on His left. And then we have the first word on the cross. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide His garments. The first word from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want you to hear the first word from the cross, Father. Father. The first word, the first thought is not me, it's Father. It shows us that it's a prayer, that these are all prayers. Father, that's the first word. Father God, a, a prayer. His first thought is of the Father. Who's the second thought of? His second thought is of sinful mankind. Forgive them. First of Father God, but second of mankind. Forgive them. 
Forgive them for they know not what they do. So I want us to see three things here. Letter A is this. He prays. And he prays for his murderers. Are you kidding me? How difficult. Who would do that? Whose first thought would be Father God and then second thought would be, Father God, I want you to forgive them. Praying for their murders, for the executioners. Forgive them. Of course, it's nothing new. Jesus had taught His followers early on to do this very thing. Pray for those that persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. And Jesus is doing it. Now, historically, normally, we know that each criminal would have had four soldiers attending to them. Those four soldiers wanted to divide the, the garments. Four soldiers under the command of a centurion. And yet, Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them. But who's the them? Have you thought deeply about Scripture? Don't just read it. Think deeply. Who's the them that He's praying for? Forgive them. Is them the four Roman soldiers? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is He praying for the Jews that are standing there? The Jews that handed Him over? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Maybe He's praying for both. He's praying for the soldiers. I think it's obvious. But perhaps also for the Jews. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they're doing. Those executioners. What an amazing intercession. That's amazing intercession. But my next deep thought is this. is Well, what does that prayer mean? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Didn't they know what they were doing? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What does, what does Jesus' words here mean? And then it leads us to ask this deep question. Did the Father answer that prayer or not? Did Jesus ever pray prayers that went unanswered? Well, I don't know the answer to all those questions. I do know that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. I don't know if the Father forgave them. I don't know if He forgave them specifically, not entirely. I know that Jesus prayed, Father, Your will be done, not mine. I don't know if Jesus has ever prayed unanswered prayers. I just know this, that the Bible wants us to know that Jesus prayed submissively, obediently. And if the specific sin was forgiven, maybe it could have been. If that specific sin was forgiven, that they know not what they do, forgive them and the Father could forgive them, how many other sins did it take to, to send them to a just hell? Right? Any other sin. So if that sin was forgiven specifically and they weren't forgiven entirely, then still they would die and go to hell. I don't know all those questions. I don't know that they totally matter. Could they be forgiven specifically, but not entirely? That one, but not all? The truth is that we don't know. We don't know the final spiritual outcome of this prayer. We don't know the final spiritual outcome of those that witnessed the cross, of the many gathered around, but we can know ours. We can know our spiritual outcome. We don't get specific sin forgiveness. It's either all or nothing. And guess what? You can know. You can know that your prayers are answered. You can know that when Jesus says, Father, forgive your name, that you're forgiven, forever forgiven, fully forgiven, freely forgiven. You can know. One thing that this Scripture shows us is that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. You see, in Isaiah 53, we learn about the Messiah and how He would suffer. 
In Isaiah 53, verse 12, we read this prophecy. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Crucified with criminals, numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He makes intercession for the transgressors. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was fulfilling Isaiah 53 when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know. They're spiritually blind to this. Do you know a spiritually blind heart is unable to see apart from divine intervention? We have to have the eyes of our heart opened. Do you see that today? Do you see that your sins can be forgiven? You can be forgiven. Letter B, I want you to see, most importantly, that this is a word of forgiveness. It's a word of forgiveness. The first message of the cross is this word of forgiveness. And forgiveness means absorbing the debt. It always does. Someone always has to pay. Nothing in this life can be forgiven without some kind of payment. Jesus absorbed the debt. For you to forgive your loved one, you absorb the debt. Sin always costs. Someone always has to pay. And what Jesus is saying is He's saying, Father, I'll absorb the debt. I'll pay for that. Father, forgive them. And we know that Jesus absorbed the debt. We know and we see Jesus paid it all. All. All of our sins. All to Him I owe. I wonder if He paid for that one for them. I can ask you this question. Has He paid it all for you? Has He paid for all of your sins? This is man's greatest need. Forgiveness. And so we see that He absorbed the debt we owed and He intercedes for us this very prayer. He's constantly interceding. Father, forgive them. In the Greek, it actually reads that way. He was saying, Father, forgive them. I wonder if He said it as they drove each nail. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I wonder if it, how many times He would have uttered that. Father, forgive them. And He says it for you. Father, forgive them. I paid for that. Father, forgive Eric. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. It's covered. It's paid for. What a great prayer. He intercedes for you, that very prayer. It's what Good Friday and Easter is all about. I want you to see letter C, that this was mercy. What merciful words. Mercy for that cruel action. The cruelty of crucifixion. Wow! And Jesus shows us that He's the forgiving and merciful Messiah. He's the forgiving and merciful Messiah. I don't know about you, but Pastor Eric needs this word. And I think that you know that you need this word too. We need a merciful word. We need a word of forgiveness. We need to hear Jesus say, Father, forgive. I am interceding. I am paying. I am the sacrifice that will atone and absorb all of their sins. Second point is that first word of the cross. If you were here last Sunday, we looked at the second saying of the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I encourage you, if you weren't here, go back on Facebook and watch the video. We preached a message called Three Words About Paradise. And I wanted to comfort our family, our church family, during the passing of, of Miss Carol. And so we looked at what did Jesus say about paradise? The two times 
that he says it in Scripture. What does Paul say about paradise the one time that he talks about it in Scripture? It's only found, the word paradise, three times in Scripture. And this is one of them. This is the first one where Jesus would say in that second word, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I've preached on that. It's one of my favorite. I encourage you to go back. We'll, we'll do it again. It's, oh, it's, it's just the awesome one. It's the one when all those pastors got together and we were hashing out who would get one. I said, give me the second one. I'm ready to go. I love that one. I'm not going to re-preach that message. So three points today. Number one, a word on the journey to the cross, daughters of Jerusalem. Number two, the first word from the cross, Father, forgive them. And now I want us to go and look at the third point, and it is the third word from the cross. Woman, mother. To do this, we have to go to John chapter 19. So I invite you to take your Bible and go over to John 19. You know that we have four Gospels. Each writer writing with a different perspective in mind, with a different audience in mind, portraying Jesus in a different way. They don't contradict one another, but if we harmonize them all, we, we see how different gaps are filled in and we get this beautiful picture of the words of Jesus. And John gives us the third word of the cross. John chapter 19, and I'll begin reading in verse 24 so you can see how this follows chronologically from the word that I just left off in Luke's gospel. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who it shall be. That garment, this was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But verse 25, John 19, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, the third saying of the cross, Woman, behold thy son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. The third word from the cross. The third saying on the cross is to his mother, and it is to the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know is John. John who wrote this gospel. John always referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so here I want you to see three points. Letter A. I want you to notice that these are words of care, honor, and love. They're words of care. They're words of honor. They're words of love. They're words of care because Jesus was caring for Mary. He was going to make sure that she was cared for. He was caring for John. They're words of honor because He was honoring Mary and He was going to honor John with a privilege of responsibility. And they're words of love. Jesus loved His family to the very end. They're words of care, honor, and love. And it's fitting that even in His last hours and moments, He would speak these words, and we should too. He cares for Mary. We should care for our parents. Many of you have. Many of you see people that are doing this. It's right for the children in their age, older, to care for older and aging and frail parents. And what Jesus does is He makes sure that Mary will be taken care of very well. I want you to see letter B that these are words of responsibility. His and John's. 
They're words of responsibility for Jesus because Jesus, as the firstborn son, now had a responsibility. Joseph, we believe, had passed away. And now Jesus, as the oldest son, the responsibility of all the women in the household would have been on him. The responsibility of Mary would have fallen on Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that he was about to leave this earth, says, it's my responsibility to, take, uh, to make sure that, that Mary is taken care of. And so, behold, John, your mother. And now John gets the responsibility. John, who had once fled, and everybody had fled, and one had betrayed, and one had denied, but John had somehow found his way back. It gives hope to backsliders. And John is finally there at the cross, and he receives responsibility. Let her see it shows us this, that Mary was special. You see, the Mary of the manger was the Mary of the cruel cross. The Mary at Bethlehem was the Mary at Calvary. Sometimes we forget that. She'd been through a lot, she'd seen a lot. But now she's there at the place of the skull. And early on, Simeon, when he held baby Jesus in the temple, actually prophesied about this when he said, and, and Mary, a, a sword will pierce your own heart and soul too. Right? This was being fulfilled at this very moment. Simeon had predicted the pain that she would felt there, and now she saw the sacred head now wounded, the crown of thorns. And Mary was special. And Jesus looks after her and addresses her. Women were special to Jesus. Women were always special to Jesus. They followed Jesus. They prayed for Jesus. They supported Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Luke chapter 8, the first few verses. In Luke chapter 8, the Bible says, Soon afterward, He went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with Him. And also, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. That guy had an important position, so this was probably a pretty important woman, that woman Joanna. And the Bible says, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. It shows us that women were always special to Jesus. They prayed for Him, they supported Him, they, they looked after Jesus and the twelve out of their own means. Women followed Jesus, right, before it was politically correct. Jesus loves all that are created in the image of God. And the women were there. Listen to what Mark's Gospel says about that cross scene. In Mark 15, verse 40 and 41, there were also women looking on at a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When He was in Galilee, they followed Him and they ministered to Him. And there were also many other women who came up with Him to Jerusalem. Many other women. Maybe some of those were the ones that were weeping and wailing. And daughters of Jerusalem don't weep and wail. You see, Jesus had a heart. Mary was special. Women were special. Those women watched the cross but have you noticed what Jesus has done in just the first three words of the cross? He's moved from father to mother. He starts with father. Father, forgive them. But He doesn't leave off mother. Now He turns to His mother, to that woman Mary. 
Do you know that Scripture never records Jesus as saying mother? Only woman? He never in Scripture calls her mother. He calls her woman. Maybe that's cultural. Maybe the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, knew that we don't need Mother Mary, <laughs> that the Catholic Church would teach us that we need Mother Mary, so Jesus never calls her Mother Mary. He calls her woman. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus is the only mediator. But He's moved from father to mother. And here, in a way, Jesus is ending the relationship with Mary. Why? He was going to be glorified. And in His glory, it would no longer be that earthly mother-son relationship. In a way, He's saying, I'm going into glory to return to the second person of the Holy Trinity. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. He sort of transitions that relationship. Mary had done her part here on earth. So the second person of the Trinity brings closure. And guess what? We don't need Mary for our faith because we have the Holy Son of God. Amen. And we should hear the words. And we should behold the Son. Here again, think deeply about Scripture. It literally reads this way, Then He said to His mother, Woman, behold your Son. Then He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. He said to His mother, Woman, Behold your son. What son? Woman, behold your son. Is he saying that? Woman, behold your son. Is he saying, woman, behold your son? I think the context shows us sort of that. Woman, behold your, your son, John. Because he says, and then he said to that disciple, behold your mother. But in a way, it's sort of both. <laughs> behold your son. And as you behold the sacred head now wounded, behold your, your new son. And you behold your, your mother. Words of care and honor and love and responsibility and words that are special, that family was special, as they would look on and that we could look on and behold the Son and know that we have everything we need in Jesus. And then ends the first three sayings of the cross. And following this word, the Bible tells us that there would be several hours of darkness and silence. There's a pause. Darkness covers the land. And Jesus is silent for some time. And then, when He speaks, there are four more sayings, four final sayings that come rather quickly. And Jesus gives His life for you and for me. One thing that we can say is this, is that Jesus was thinking of you. Jesus was thinking of mankind. Can you hear the Savior calling today? Can you hear these words resonate with your heart? Do you hear Jesus saying, these are words for you. I'm thinking of you. And then the silence and the pause. In this time of our silence, we respond to Jesus speaking to us, speaking words of love and forgiveness from the cross, words that lead us to continually repent and believe. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.